0: I got the mic, I said, we defending our belts tonight. I said, well, unfortunately, we only got one belt. I said, because I pawned my belt.
1: Welcome to the inaugural episode of Dark Side of the Ring Unheard, the podcast from the hit Vice TV series Dark Side of the Ring that dives into the show's deep reservoir of unaired interviews with pro wrestling's most famous and infamous, its least and most heralded, its most honest, and, of course, its most duplicitous. I'm Jack Encarnacio from the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast, joined by my Lapsed Fan co-host, an astute observer of the ring and the screen, J.P. Sorrow as well as Dark Side of the Ring's executive producer and co-creator, Evan Husney. Dark Side of the Rings* Season 5 premieres Tuesday, March 5th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time on Vice TV with 10 all-new episodes. And Evan, the, the franchise just keeps spawning, keeps growing new limbs, and I guess at a certain point you just realize, wait, we're sitting on a treasure trove of stuff that just couldn't fit into a particular episode, and this stuff ought not to be stowed away forever on a server somewhere
2: yeah that's exactly right i mean i think after we've well you know we finished season five now and i think it's somewhere upwards of 350 interviews we've done over the past uh you know six years and by doing some simple math here i don't want to sound like scott steiner but you know we're uh i think it's somewhere upwards of like 900 hours or more of of footage that we have and there's only like two percent of that has ever been used <laughs> on air so we figured that we have so much of this footage of um you know interviews with wrestlers with wrestlers, family members uh, and so much of that is on the cutting room floor stuff that you know didn't pertain to the main story that we were covering on a particular week's episode or whatnot and so we thought this would be a really cool sort of excuse to dig into the you know dark side of the ring archives and 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 see what's there and and you know tonight's a uh, gonna be a pretty special episode because it's New Jack, you know, one of our favorite episodes we've ever done for the show. And sadly, he's passed on uh, now. So this is one of his last interviews. I mean, he did one more interview with us, you know, the, the next year, but but this was definitely a major kind of important milestone for us this episode and this interview in particular. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad we're sort of kicking it
1: off with this. Absolutely. Yeah, the pieces of sad we'll be bringing you here on Dark Side of the Ring Unheard are from New Jack's, you know, sort of dedicated sit-down interview for the episode all about him, The Life and Crimes of New Jack. Evan making reference there to the fact that New Jack also, before his untimely death, sat for the Dark Side cameras for the XPW episode that took place a bit further down. Well, the archives, uh, they yearn to be free, so let us get to it. Um, So the voice you heard at the very top of the show, that of course is that of New Jack a wrestler most famous for his ultra-violent weapons swinging and balcony diving matches and the hardcore ECW promotion in the late 90s. JP, what was your sense of New Jack coming in, and now what's your take on this guy after taking in Dark Side of the Ring's treatment? My familiarity
3: with New Jack was really about reputation. I don't think... Well, maybe I've seen one or two matches because of the lapsed fan, but other than that, I really just knew who he was by what I heard that he'd done. So he had that kind of reputation, you know, but after watching the episode, I mean, holy shit, like there, there's into his eyes. And what did you see? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I, I saw the devil's eyes. Yeah. And he was, I mean, it was the, the way he talks. He's too, he's too calm and too cool to talk about, The things that he did and like to talk about, you know, like the, 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 the kid getting his head cut open Mm. and the, the pushing the guy off the top of the, the scaffolding, you know, with the, with the intent to push him to the, to the floor and not hit the ring. I didn't give a fuck about him. I
1: think was the quote. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Right. Like, you (laughs) know, he, he, he spoke so coolly. He wasn't even angry. He wasn't uh, resentful or remorseful about it. He just, it just was.
1: And that's terrifying. Evan, that's huge. I mean, what was it like? You sat with New Jack, you did these interviews, and some of the bites will even hear you as the distant sort of, you know, voice of the, uh, the interviewer. I mean, you spent a lot of time with this guy. Tell us all about it.
2: Well, yeah, to take like just two steps back to respond to you, JP, it's like, Going into making this episode, I didn't know a ton about New Jack either. I was an ECW fan growing up, you know, took the bus down to the mall. And for whatever reason, there was an RF video kiosk at my local mall.
1: Ah, you had one of those too. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yep. Yep. And, uh, that's where I was able to buy these ECW compilations. And I was able to see a lot of, that's how I saw a lot of this stuff for the first time was on these kind of dubbed VHS tapes. Um, and so I only knew just, you know, the basics about New Jack. I knew, you know, the balcony diving. I knew the Natural Born Killers, you know, song, which was amazing. And especially that playing throughout the whole match was a great touch. And uh, so, you know, I had his action figure, of course, from the ECW uh, original figures. And um, But I didn't know a lot about Mass Transit. I knew a little bit about some of these little incidences and these these, you know, very controversial moments that he's at the center of. But I didn't know a whole lot. And one of the things that, you know, was very clear to me when we sat down with an interview with him and as we're exploring the themes of his story was, you know, Jason and I, you know, who's the co-creator of Darkseid and also the director, he and I loved, you know, I think what made what what made the show what what made Darkseid successful and captivated people when they first were watching it was anything having to do with the blurred lines of wrestling, the where does reality and fiction collide, that sort of blur between those things, the kayfabe of it all. And this story definitely hits on that, you know, because what we set out to do with this episode was sort of examine, you know, where do you draw the line not only between New Jack, the character, and Jerome Young, the person, that's of course his real name, his shoot name, uh, or where do you draw the line between you know, wrestling performance, cooperation, and felonious assault, as Jim Cornette <laughs> calls it, you know, and, um, and so that was kind of the thesis going into this, was trying to explain that. Now, sitting with New Jack and interviewing him, uh, I, I have to also explain this, because it was very interesting circumstances, but I, I wasn't sure, I think about 85% of the time I was talking to New Jack, the character. You know, I'm pretty, pretty certain, you know. Um, And as the seasons would roll on, and as we would do many more interviews and get up to that 300 level, you know, of interviews, it was a little easier to detect who you were talking to. Um, But in this moment, it really felt like New Jack, uh, the character. Um, And I have to say, when I first reached out to him, and and I was contacting him about being a part of the show, I was very... Uh, intimidated by the lore and legend of New Jack, especially after I'd started researching him more going into this. So my my phone call, my first ever phone call with him was very brief <laughs> and to the point. I think the only word he ever said on the phone to me was, yeah. <laughs> Better than no. Which, yes, very true. Very true. But it was like, hey, I'm this guy. I got a, we We have a show on TV about wrestling and we want to interview you. We want to do you know your story so would you be into that yeah (laughs) you know and like that was it and so like we actually traveled like all the way out to you know i think i think he lived in greensboro north carolina and we went all the way to greensboro just basically him just saying yeah like we didn't know anything else hopefully this was going to work out jason and i had scouted some locations on the internet to like what would be what would be a really cool stylistic elevated look For New Jack, what would be not just like a, you know, Ramada in shoot interview style thing, like hotel room. (laughs) And that's what you would see with New Jack, you know, in his previous interviews is most of them are like the RF video shoot interview look. So we were trying to figure out like what would be something that would really, you know, elevate the interview and make it much more cinematic. And Jason had the idea of an old movie theater, which I thought was cool. This idea of you know putting him on this you know it was like a movie palace from like the turn of the century or something, and it was like putting him on stage, and having like the balconies of seats behind him kind of echoed the look and feel of his balcony dives a little bit you know and so with and 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 since so much of this is about performance and you know is it a performance or not you know that also evoked that by having empty audience seats behind him. So it was a cool idea. So we set it up. We went to Greensboro. Long story short, I'll get to the point. We get there and I did not realize that the town, we accidentally booked a theater two hours away in a completely different town than where we were and where he was. So I am just like freaking out because I'm already intimidated of New Jack and now to have to call him and like, cop to a fucking that might not be another yeah an amateur hour (laughs) yeah you know well I, i was picturing myself like you know with a blade skull deep in my forehead you know moment you know just a few hours from now so i was terrified because it was like of all the interviews to have a big you know fuck up on not this one so i i basically was like well i didn't want to sacrifice this location because i really wanted to use it and so what what i did is i i at the last second i was like let's get him a fucking limo okay we'll get him a limo it'll show up at his house pick him up we'll put whatever drinks he wants in there and this you know stretch limo will take him all the way to durham you know the other town that's like almost two hours away and so i called him and said all right limo's picking you up man there's gonna be like what do you want in there and he was like vodka orange juice and i was like all right let's go and so uh he get it, he got in the limo vodka orange juice was there and he drove and he got to the location and he showed up and uh
3: had a few drinks i was kind of hoping you'd say i'd like new jack and coke
2: <laughs> oh man but i guess vodka oj is his thing and so 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 he shows up and um no small talk there is most of the interviews that we've done we try to establish a little rapport you know some common ground a little chit chat you know break the ice beforehand not with New Jack it was very monosyllabic and it just was like ooh man I, it just it made me even more intimidated cuz i couldn't connect with him at all but as soon as the camera turned on man he turned on and it was just like he was right he clicked on into that character straight away and i really don't think he knew what he was signing up for exactly because i explained it so probably poorly on the phone and it was it was i i think he just thought it was another mark shoot interview you know for some you know wrestling website or something i don't think he understood this was for television and it was a larger production and um because he turned to me and he was like uh, uh right before we turned on the camera he said um is a lot of people going to see this and i was like and I, I didn't want to quite say, yeah, you know, some will see it because I didn't want to quite say, you know, I didn't want to give it because I did not want it to affect his performance necessarily or his interview, if you will. And it didn't. And he just launched full into it. But I think had he known it was what it was <laughs> more of what it was appropriately, I think he might have been more out of character. And he told me that afterwards, after the interview and it aired and it became a thing he He said, "Um, if I had known, I might have I might have done the interview a little differently,
1: yeah, yeah, he's got those gears, and that's that's what you find interviewing pro wrestlers you know over and over again is it, how they deal with you interpersonally when the light isn't on is no indication of what you're going to actually be dealing with when when the cameras are rolling because that's you know that's their stock and trade, and as you mentioned, sadly uh Jerome Young new Jack passed away um may fourteenth two thousand twenty one reportedly of a heart attack in Greensboro, North Carolina." And this is something we're going to try to do here on Dark Side of the Ring Unheard. We're going to try to sort of resurrect voices that are in the archives that have passed since they sat for Dark Side cameras. And sadly enough, and it's really, a, of course, a recurrent theme in the business of professional wrestling, there's, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of folks that um, were just spry and, and, and full of piss and vinegar when they sat for you guys and are no longer with us, and New Jack is, is indeed among them. So let's get to the archives. This is the first piece of sound, and just in terms of setting the stage a bit, um, anyone who saw the episode knows that really New Jack's breakthrough platform in the pro wrestling business was a territorial area called Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was promoted by longtime uh, wrestling manager and just all-around connoisseur Jim Cornette. And in Smoky Mountain, uh, with his partner Mustafa, New Jack created a tag team called The Gangsters, which was just straight for the jugular, the hardest core interviews, you know, South Central L.A., Compton-style, braggadocio, and just, you know... Making, making light of the O.J. Simpson murders. That's a, a very uh, compelling part of the documentary and his story. Didn't he call my boy O.J. Simpson in one of those promos?
2: He goes, shout out to my, to, to my boy O.J. Simpson. Uh, keep That's up the good, good work. work. That's one less we got to oh worry about. God. And my God.
1: You smoke mountain, right? So you're talking about a crowd that is is very easy to uh to, to inflame the passions of when, when someone steps on television, particularly an African American and says these things and, and this'll be a theme, uh, throughout a lot of the things New Jack told you and pretty much any interview he he's ever done, a shoot interview or a legitimate interview, if you will. It's he he's dealing with and leveraging uh the racism, frankly, that he encounters from the wrestling audiences he performs for, really from about the the mid '90s through through to the late '90s, though, in this particular earlier stage of his career, he's seeing a lot more of it because he's working smaller venues uh, in in the American Southeast, and it's a, a little more, you know, a little a little harder edged in that regard. I mean, this was the most fascinating aspect to his story and to the
2: episode, in my opinion, was uh, how he integrated into uh, Smoky Mountain and the idea and and you know, New Jack he he has a lot of wit, you know, to accompany the character and the things he would do to provoke the predominantly white audience down there and I just have you know it's it's fascinating to see that and I think it's brilliant on his uh, you know um, I think it's brilliant that he decided to sort of take all of the stereotypes that were being created by the media around that time and that post Rodney King sort of world um, you know, with the rise of gangster rap, all the stuff that you were hearing on the news and, you know, white America and the fears of the black community, he was taking all those stereotypes and throwing it right back in the faces of all these people who were at these wrestling matches. And it was very cutting edge and it was, it was very prescient. And uh, I think Jim Cornette deserves a lot of credit for that too, because, you know, he would play with that more. He would play with what was taking something right out of the headlines and putting it in, uh, putting it in the ring at that time. I mean, he did it also with uh, with Tammy Sitch when you know she's kind of playing this, you know, um, Hillary Clinton admirer, you know, or whatever she was. So he was really kind of on the forefront of what was going on in culture uh, and in the media at the time. And I think New Jack. I mean, obviously, you need someone as skilled as New Jack in order to really pull that off. So it's not cheesy or corny. And man, boy, did he make he made it scary and he made it real and um, yeah, just a really fascinating part of this whole story.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about the Smoky Mountains, the Appalachian Mountains, the Knoxville, Tennessee part of the United States, which is a part of the country that, you know, Jim Cornette hails from. So he knows it intimately well. He knows kind of the animus of the people. He knows what buttons to press, just as you said, and he found a very willing accomplice in, in New Jack. So, uh, this piece of sound is him recalling, um, bringing 8x10s as wrestlers have done forever to events to try to make some extra money off what they would call gimmick sales, where you basically sell signed 8x10s and signed anything to the fans in between the matches and during intermission. And it's going to be kind of hard for the gangsters to move a lot of those because they're so hated because of the things they've been saying on the microphone and the way they've been portraying themselves in the ring as we talked about. So they're working a show with a famous legendary tag team in the pro wrestling business, the Rock and Roll Express, and um, Ricky Morton, who's one half of that tag team, has a suggestion uh, for how New Jack still might be able to move 8x10s down in Smoky Mountain without necessarily being embraced as a great guy. Uh, there is going to be a bit of a, uh, uh off color language and, and quite a bit
0: of slurs being deployed by, the, by, uh, by New Jack here. One of the funny things was one day I had some 8x10 some pictures, but I couldn't sell a picture if I fucking wanted to because they just fucking hated me. And Ricky was like, Jack, give me the picture. So I gave Ricky the picture, and he drew a circle around my face and put a slash mark through it. I said, what you want me to do with this? He said, let me sell your pictures. He said, and they'll buy them. And I'll draw a slash mark through it and sign it, Ricky Morton, Rock Roll Express. (laughs) He said, and they're going to buy your pictures. I said, you think that'll work? He said, Jack, trust me. So I gave Ricky my pictures, and he went out there and was selling them. They bought all my pictures. They was holding them up, fucking nigger, fucking nigger, look at this, you fucking nigger, you got a slash mark through your face, you goddamn nigger, you know what I mean? And I was like, just keep buying my shit. And I'll put over like, yo, oh, I fucking hate y'all for doing this shit, y'all fucking suck, and, and Ricky collected my money and gave it to me at the end of the night, you know what I mean? And it was like it went over like a motherfucker, but they didn't understand it or they're too goddamn stupid. You know what I mean? But that's what we did, and it got over. That's pro wrestling right there. That's totally, totally pro wrestling. I mean, that's a brilliant.
3: That's a that that's a brilliant way to 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 kind of manipulate the market and still, you know, you're making you're making that money. That's amazing. What if Ricky Morton? Of
1: all the guys. Of all the guys to suggest it to. <laughs>
3: Oh
2: man, yeah. the living, walking gimmick, you know, Ricky Morton. But the uh, the the interesting thing about that too, as it kind of also relates to one aspect of the episode itself, is um, you know D'Lo Brown talks about in, in the episode about this strange dichotomy that nobody else, none of his you know peers could quite understand, is this idea or people who are friends of his or family of his that isn't in wrestling. That you know what he's trying to do as a heel is he's trying to provoke the crowd to hate him, and if they do, you know, start you know yelling racial epithets at him, that's like a sign of a good job, you know, in wrestling in the upside down world that is wrestling, and so it's just a fascinating you know microcosm of society on its head that we have in this in this world of Smoky Mountain, and um, yeah, and 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 of course you know. They were also trying some pretty radical things here, you know, with Ricky Morton and New Jack. I just remembered that the angle that they were working during this time—I don't know if you guys remember this—but they were working an angle where it was their Smoky Mountain was doing their version of the Rodney King beating, yes. where it was Ricky Morton getting beaten, just like with, Reginald, a, with a nightstick. Um,
1: was it? Yeah. Right. The the white the white trucker that was pulled out of the truck and beat up on the news. Yeah.
2: Right. So that's the image they're going for. Reginald Denny. Reginald Denny. That's right. In order to get the heat on the gangsters, you know, and that's true upside down world, if you really think about it.
1: Reading through the whole transcript of this interview and having seen the episode and having seen New Jack interviewed a bunch of times. You know, one thing that really comes across is as much as he was, you know, willing to boldly face down you know, the racial epithets that he encountered. Um, And as much as he seemed so calm, cool and collected in terms of like we just showed in that clip, flipping it into commerce that fattened his wallet. At the same time, you couldn't help but come away with the sense that New Jack was in some way he wouldn't quite acknowledge bruised by every instance of racism that he encountered. He doesn't forget a name. He's got receipts. You know what I mean? He's calling out everyone who's ever used the N-word around him. And I feel like His 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 wrestling life story is really one of, uh, you know, I made money off that racist. I made money off that racist. It's kind of like a way to even the score in his his mind. I hope I'm not reading too much into that, but I I sort of feel like that's a big animating factor in his life and career.
2: Yeah, I mean, it definitely even even reading his book. You know, he published an autobiography a few years before he passed, and uh, he addressed a lot of that in there um, in terms of you know calling some people out and. And also, um, you know, you can tell even in our episode that a huge motivating factor of even some of the violence um, of where the story goes is sort of triggered, you know, by some of the
1: racism that he is experiencing uh, in this business. Another page from that book, I suppose you could say, is is our next piece of sound. So he's describing a scene in which he and his partner, Mustafa, who were the Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions, uh, Mustafa forgot his tag title belt at home. Okay. (laughs) He didn't bring the bell to the show. It
2: happens. He was smoking pencil shavings and forgot his <laughs> fucking tag belt. Yeah, go on. Uh,
1: one may be related to the other, but both definitely happened. And here he is, uh, new Jack, Johnny on the spot, trying to think of a way to leverage this um, into something advantageous, something that might even accentuate the character and, and evoke the passions of the crowd again uh, in a very defiant way. You know, this is not a, necessarily a fine artiste at work here. This is the fuck you motherfucker kind of guy.
2: Dude, he's, he's so good. Uh, which you'll see in, here in this clip, uh, thinking on his feet, yep. trying to see. And this is what I think really being a good wrestler is is, is, is kind of that improv of what's going to be you know, the best, like I said, wittiest. He's very witty. What's going to work that's going to really work for not only the situation, the storyline, my character, his character, and it's beautiful.
1: So he had had some work done on his car shortly before this episode where the belt was forgotten. And so in that car, he had a big pink sheet of paper and uh, he taped it to his shirt. As, uh, you know, Jim Cornette, the promoter, expressed uh, some fair degree of uh, of consternation that the belt was forgotten and it might, might be a difficult thing to, to leverage. But they got one belt and that is all New Jack needed. Listen to this.
0: I got the mic. I said, we defending our belt tonight. I said, well, unfortunately, we only got one belt. I said, because I pawned my belt. (laughs) (laughs) I said, so if y'all beat us, here's the pawn ticket. And I turned off my shirt. I said, here's the pawn ticket. You go down to Knoxville, you get it out the pawn shop. And there was a white guy sitting. He was like a grandfather. He had a little kid with him. He said, "Ain't this some shit? The first nigga tag team champions we got, and y'all them pawned the belt." He said, "I don't want to see this shit." He got up and got his grandkid and walked out. Oh my god! Oh my god! Everybody else started booing. Us. Wow! You know what I mean? And that was just some shit I came up with off the top of my head. And I was like, "We're gonna do it!" Fuck it, we did it, and we did it.
1: This an evil genius, JP? What do you? <laughs>
3: I mean, I seriously like I, I I I he's got some incredible creativity, like to to kind of think of that shit on the fly and to just let it go. That's a brilliant, brilliant, uh, uh you know, making chicken salad out of chicken shit. That's absolutely
1: incredible. You want the belts, Beat us and go to the pawn shop and yeah.
3: get it. <laughs> I would have been a
2: good vignette, too, if they would have filmed that. Oh, that
1: yeah, they should have went with it, man. I yeah. would have
2: run with that all day. Totally. And then when they
1: get there, they get jacked around. and Yeah, so you know, they, they get jumped at the pawn shop. You totally. Know. Or like the pawn shop guy didn't even know they were sending him his way. They could have sent him to Carver Reed, Todd Gordon's place in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the,
2: the Yeah, hearing that back, it's like, I, I'm sure that's going to happen a lot when we're um, you know going through these archives and listening back to some of these and remembering these, you know, when I, when I originally did the interview and thinking, fuck, like that's something that really could have been in the episode and been pretty great. Right, yeah, because... Get over that
1: quick, Evan. That's going to happen to you just about every 10 <laughs> minutes on this series. <laughs> no,
2: I know. That's why it's... we're
1: doing it. Right. Cause it's all there.
2: Yeah. It's so good. And it's like, uh, you know, I, if, if I remember in the episode, they, there is kind of a little montage of new Jack talking about different, you know, ideas and bringing the creative mindset to this very, you know sort of crazy you know fucked up storyline but you know the idea of him dragging out the white baby doll and the noose and showing that to the crowd and stuff and it's just like man he was being so provocative like if you if you yeah. look at you know i mean this is before ecw this is before attitude Era, this is before any of this that stuff where you know any wrestling promotions were getting really that edgy i mean he was doing some really cutting-edge provocative shit you know Absolutely. and uh It's it's just amazing to see, you know.
1: And uh, he was really steeled for the potential of a of a mad rush from angry spectators from not only a life of of crime, you know, and drug dealing, as he admits to. And you know, this is a guy that was driving high end automobiles before he ever got into the pro wrestling business, you know, he talked to you guys about that Mm -hmm. by working the streets and working the drug trade. Of course he had a horrendous upbringing to hear him tell it in terms of the, uh, the domestic life that he had to get acclimated to. And further, I mean, this is a guy who was a bounty hunter and it it was talked about a bit with him. Um, he, he, you know, helped make ends meet by hunting down people that, uh, the law couldn't get their hands on or didn't want to get their hands on. And this is, this is a fun twist, because what we're going to play for you now is not New Jack talking, but in fact, the aforementioned D'Lo Brown. Now, D'Lo Brown was very well known in the WWF uh, as a member of the Nation of Domination, a European champion during the famous Attitude Era of the late 90s, and um, he got his start uh, working alongside the gangsters in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, sort of adopting much the same gimmick and look and sort of presence that he would carry uh, into the WWF as a member of the, of the Nation of Domination. So in a lot of ways, um, D'Lo... Uh, traces a lot of you know character that he was able to take to national exposure to uh, to New Jack
2: just to set this up um, before we play it again going back to New Jack's biography yes he also in that uh, you should definitely check it out too it's a it's a brisk read and he gets into a lot of the same stuff but you know as our episode but he expands upon it even further and he does talk about his his violent upbringing, uh, his very traumatic violent upbringing. And he also talks about uh, you know kind of getting into a life of crime. And in his teenage high school years, he was robbing uh, he was robbing convenience stores at gunpoint. He was the guy that was basically you know had the gun pointed at a store clerk and would scare the shit out of him while his friends would you know loot everything. And he he uh, got caught doing this. So he, he 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 got arrested. And he went to uh, he went to jail for t- almost two years, and when he got out, he did not know what to do with himself. He um, he had a sort of maybe promising football career if he would have stayed with it in school, but that was totally gone now after being out of prison. And he basically fell into bounty hunting. That was the thing that he felt that he could do, and he could. He could stomach it and he could, uh, you know, have the fortitude of going in and dragging in people, scaring the shit out of them, you know, and dragging them into uh, to bail bondsman, you know, wherever he was. And so this is where he made a lot of his money. And then simultaneously he got into dealing drugs. And it was this kind of like quasi bad lieutenant thing where, you know, (laughs) it kind of gave him this get out of jail free card because on one end he's working for the law, being a bounty hunter. But then, and, you know, he gets to know all the cops, he gets to know, you know, any sort of law enforcement person, and that, and then the, that person's always going to wave him through anywhere he goes, and of course, you know, he's carrying drugs on him. So, he was living this kind of dual life, and he was going very fast, and it was getting very crazy and out of control, and that's when he decided to kind of settle down a little bit and get into wrestling, and I say a little bit, Um But he would still from time to time, even when he was wrestling, he would pick up bounties and he would go out and like a bail bondsman would call him. And after a match, you know, Jack would score a bounty. And like I always thought that'd be a great premise for a movie, you know, like a day in the life of a wrestler who's also a who's also a bounty hunter, (laughs) you know, wrestler by day, bounty hunter by night. So let's uh, play. He was also clip. running
1: drugs the whole time.
2: Yeah, yes. he was running drugs the whole time.
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is um, D'Lo Brown, who sat for the cameras to talk about New Jack. And it's almost better that we hear a third-party perspective on New Jack as the bounty hunter than New Jack himself. Uh, so here he is recalling uh, the one time that he was convinced to go with New Jack on a hunt.
2: You ever talk about his bounty hunting days
1: with you? I went on
4: one bounty hunt with Jack.
2: Okay. Hold on a second here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. What happened?
4: So um, we were doing a show up in Kentucky somewhere. And this is in the early days of cell phones. So Jack gets a call. And ironically, there's this guy who's like two towns away. That's one in Atlanta. Um, and two towns away from World Wrestling. And they called Jack and say, hey, you want to you wanna get this caller? So we roll up to this guy's house. It's like 2 in the morning. It's pitch black. Jack goes, I want you to go around the back door. Stand there. If somebody comes out that back door, take their head off. Oh, my God. Okay. So now I'm a black guy in Kentucky standing in a dark backyard looking at someone's back door. Oh. This is not a great idea. Uh, And Jack's going to go through the front. I stand in and I'm waiting, I'm ready to pounce, I'm ready to take somebody's head off. Luckily no one came out of that back door because everything went through my mind, whether someone's gonna come out with a shotgun or come up blaze of glory or someone's gonna walk up behind me and shoot me. I all that goes in your mind afterwards. Um so Jack gets the guy, we put him in the car, we've gotta drive all the way straight to Atlanta. Um Jack has given me the rules. He's like, Hey, the guy's handcuffed, but Keep your hand on on your on the seat button, you know, here, so if he gets the cuffs off and he tries to choke you, you can pop the seat back, fly back, and then you can uh, you know, you are already even with him again. He's giving me all the rules of what to do, and he goes, Do not fall asleep, you can't fall asleep, you can't fall asleep. I spent the next seven hours scared. driving oh. Down the highway. oh my god. <laughs> Looking
1: at the rear view the whole time, Jakey. Oh, I mean, you know, it, it, he oh. can make a move like yeah, that was the last one he went on. Holy shit.
2: One thing that I just remembered from listening back to that, too, was, uh, you know, one thing I'm a little remiss that I didn't ask New Jack about uh, during this interview, and it must have just slipped my mind when we were doing it, uh, is obviously, uh, I should have mentioned this at the top of the show, too. One of my big introductions to New Jack, probably the first time I maybe even saw New Jack, was through the film Beyond the Mat. That was really my introduction to him. Um, which is, you know, his, his appearance in that film is, is very funny, you know, where he's auditioning to, you know, be an actor and it's pretty crazy and everything. But, um, in that, that's where the rumor sort of started where he dropped the line that he had, you know, seven justifiable homicides to his name from being a bounty hunter. And that was one thing that I didn't get a chance to, uh, to ask him about, but in his book... He does get into that. And, and, and he attributes that to just rumor and innuendo that obviously he's created that spawned into something much greater. But, uh, you know, he said he never killed anybody on a bounty hunting job. However, he had a partner once that had a gun that needed to use it in self-defense. And uh, Jack said something like, well, I use my knife, you know, after the fact a few times, you know, in that in that
1: in that encounter. So that oh yeah, doesn't count as a murder if the guy's already a corpse when you stick the blade in. Exactly. So
2: it's like, oh, my God. But yeah. So but it is it is something that I wish we would have had the runtime to get into is just his whole bounty hunting career. Because, you know, there's been you know, he's he's done like shows, reality shows just on that. You know, he's, he's filmed pilots for them. And, you know, he's. It's a huge part of his life.
1: Something tells me the further we go here in Dark Side of the Ring Unheard that we'll get a bit more of a look at that dual life, bounty hunter, pro wrestler existence. Um, oh, some, yeah. Some other guests in the hopper. Oh, yeah, we I, will.
3: Oh, definitely. J- JP,
1: what do you remember about the Nation of Domination?
3: Well, that's a, I mean, that's a loaded question. What do you? I remember a lot about the... Tell the, the people, tell the people. The Nation of Domination? I mean, it wasn't based on like the Black Panthers. It was the... Um,
1: it's more the na- Nation, of, Nation Islam. of Islam. Nation of Islam. of Farrakhan, yeah.
3: That's what it was, yeah. I remember being kind of bummed when when uh Farouk fired everybody except for the the core four because I liked um I liked it with the, the all these you know, these guys who didn't even fucking wrestle. They just, you know, yeah, like these, an army of bodyguards. Yeah. I liked the posse. I love the posse. I like the and, song. The song was awesome. Oh yeah. It's one of the it's one of the great Attitude Era theme songs, yeah, kind of like Unicron's
1: song in uh, Transformers the movie. <laughs> so, among that uh, supporting cast, you're referencing there, JP was in fact uh, Dilo Brown. That was his entree into the WWF. He's the one.
3: Uh, he's the one who took the uh, Pearl River plunge from Ahmed Johnson at the '96 Rumble.
1: '97, '97, yeah, '97 Rumble. '97 him Crash to that table. Absolutely big spot. And um, and so Dilo gets gets cast in this. You know, it's like a black supremacist kind of like stable. And, you know, Farouk, the aka Ron Simmons, known per perhaps even better in pro wrestling as Ron Simmons, though Farouk was his WWF name through and through, um, you know, is is making these speeches about, you know, being held down and all of that. And you would think, um, you know, that New Jack's phone might ring for a stable like this because he would add such such tremendous menace. And clearly with the D'Lo Brown influence, there's some connective tissue between the gangsters gimmick and what they were trying and especially Jim Cornette being a WWF at the time, too, or eventually yes. right there.
2: You would think, oh, I, I got somebody for this if you're going to do vouch this. for. Him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Huge. But that's always huge in wrestling is that common DNA of I've booked this guy before he got over. And now I have to I have to successfully book in this new promotion. I'm going to lean on people I know that have delivered for me before. And, you know, one might think, yeah, but it's new Jack. He's got all this baggage. He's he's kind of a wild man. Maybe that's not the best for the uh while WWF was taking a lot more risks in terms of more risque storylines at that particular point in time, perhaps New Jack was a risk too great, but New Jack told Dark Side Cameras that in fact uh, there was some outreach about including him in the Nation of Domination and to hear New Jack tell it, uh, he just was not interested. (laughs) They asked me, I want
0: to be a part of it, but they were like, you would be behind Ron Simmons. Uh Uh-oh. I said no disrespect to Ron. I said, but well, I eat him alive cutting promos. Cause I would eat his ass alive. <laughs> They're like, no, want you be a backup singer? I said, no, suck my dick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm not being backup to Ron. And they went on. The Rock was a part of it. Fucking. Everybody that was a top guy in WWE was a part of the nation of domination. But that was the gangsters. And everybody knew it was a gangsters. And they would come to me, people would come to me and say, Jack, why ain't you a part of that? You know what I mean? I'd be like, hey man, this is whatever, it's whatever, you know what I mean? But they didn't want to take a chance on me. And I was like, fuck them. What did you think of the nation of
2: domination?
0: I saw the shit like twice, and I was just like, get the fuck out of here with that shit. I mean, it was fucking corny as fuck, but they couldn't touch me, and they knew they couldn't touch me. I mean, like I said, if it, if, if you put me and, and anybody in the ring and told us to cut a promo, i eat you alive.
1: And it'd probably be one and done, because he'd probably say something that uh, would get him sent home as well. i
3: not taking anything away from any of the
1: nation guys, but there's only
3: one top guy in that. The me- yeah, just the rock it's, yeah
1: it's just the rock but it was it's huge in that it was it was the springboard for the rock to become a singles megastar in wwf that's stable
2: imagine new jack though in the nation he would, he would steal every scene he was in if it, it, you know it all it might have been a little bit too ahead of its time for him um because i'm guessing i'm not sure when this w- would have been if it would have been 96 or it would have been 97 when they're talking about this but that might have been a little too cutting edge for New Jack to be in there because he hadn't really quite made a name yet, right, at ECW or he was just kind of... I'm, I'm trying to get my timeline yeah, straight. Yeah, well,
1: this would have been 97 Yeah, um, when they were sort of casting the nation beyond right. Farouk because Farouk was still that That's Roman right. gladiator character in 96. Um, that ill-fated one. Oh, God. That? Farouk Assad, right? which, you know, Elsewhere in the transcript, New Jack has some fun with that name. He calls him Saba Simba, mixing him up for Tony Atlas. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, I I hear Farouk
3: Asada and I get hungry. So I'm thinking carne asada. Did they have Farouk Asada? (laughs) No A on the end. Yeah, Farouk Asada (laughs) would have been a much different (laughs) one. The sign of rice and beans, please. That would have been 1987. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would have been right. That would have been something Jesse Ventura would have said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Right.
3: I love the (laughs) Farouk Asada. Right. With
1: rice and beans, so there he is, and yeah, ninety six. Yeah, by then the gangsters had become the ultra violent, you know, uh, a jewel in the crown of ECW. It wasn't like New Jack hadn't become his own sort of cult thing yet. It was still very much about the tag team, but they were doing you know the typical hyper violent matches and had their 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 spot um, as an ECW cornerstone. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's wild to think about. I just I could never see it commencing. I mean, New Jack, he wasn't you know. I don't know. He didn't really get a chance to show beyond Smoky Mountain where he actually did do some more traditional pro wrestling style matches. And, you know, he had he had skills. He was well trained. Sure. Um, yeah. But I'm not sh- I'm not sure if he could have held up to what they were looking for in ring back then, which wasn't as m- not a lot. But uh, I would be really interested to, like, talk to Adilo, you know, and say, like, you know, you know what it took to make it on that circuit. Like, w- what would New Jack have had to adjust? He
2: probably wouldn't have gone for it, but it would have been interesting to see if New Jack just would have been a mouthpiece. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, what would have happened? Maybe he didn't need to wrestle. Maybe he just needed to talk, and that would have been it, and come up with ideas. He could have been, I mean, amazing, but maybe it was just too early for WWF, you know, where they would obviously get more risque
1: and and push boundaries even more into, like, 98, 99, and 2000 and stuff. But who knows? JP, any thoughts on the part of the Dark Side documentary on New Jack where he repeatedly stabs Hunter Red in the back of the head?
3: (laughs) He's a person that I'm glad I'm never going to have the chance to meet. Like I'm, I'm honestly, there There are people, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think I could have, I don't know. I, I, I would have been so scared doing what you did, Evan, like going to an interview. I'm, I'd be a complete, complete wimp about it. No question.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely was in the first, the first interview. Definitely. Uh, I, cause a lot of that got to my head in terms of thinking about mass transit, I had seen the footage of Hunter Red, you know, before the interview. And so it was like fresh in my head and I was like, Oh my God. And it's just the more and more I did, you know, like when we did the interview and then cutting the episode and then of course, communicating with Jack, which we did a fair bit after the episode came out. It was just like, I really think that, you know, he definitely was playing that gimmick. He was playing that character. Like I said, eighty probably 85% of the interview is new, interviewing New Jack, not Jerome Young. And I do think that like a lot of wrestlers, you think about uh, Randy Savage, you think about uh, Ric Flair to some extent. Like these character, these guys who develop personas and as soon as that switch turned on, it never turned off. I sort of think that, you know, New Jack does, he, he has created that persona for some level of trauma or some, you know, something that he all the experiences he's had in his mm-hmm. life and I think when he goes into that character that's the dark and disturbing side of him whereas you know Jerome Young I think is a is a is a more centered funny yeah person because yeah. you hear other people talk about him like you hear Sandman talk about him I've heard other DLo talk about him even off camera candidly and and talking about that he is a funny nice sort of guy but you know i don't think someone like me in this situation is ever going to genuinely see that side you know um and it's interesting with hunter red if we can set that up you know that's this is obviously as grim as it gets in the episode and especially as these incidents and controversial moments with new jack as they get you know as they go on in the episode from one to the next like you go from you know the xpw thing uh with vic grimes Crazy spectacle of him throwing him off the scaffolding. Then you go to Gypsy Joe, and you're starting to see okay. Gypsy Joe, like, by the way,
1: is like an octogenarian that New Jack began to absolutely assault during the course of a ma- uh, wrestling match, and for real.
2: Yeah, he's like hitting like an eighty year old man in the head with a baseball bat for real, and it's just it, it's absurd, it's insane. And but you're seeing like you know you're seeing a handful of people in the crowd. You're you're seeing like probably a hundred people in that crowd. And then, you know, so the crowds are getting smaller, you know. Um, It's that feeling of, you know, where you can't, where, like, the events can't muster a crowd. And then it gets to the Hunter Red situation where there's literally 10 people in the crowd. Um, Which, to me, makes, is just, like, magnifies the darkness of this incident much, much more. And so then you see, and if you watch the tape back of right before New Jack starts to stab this guy in the ring um you can tell that hunter red sort of hit him in the face and and he kind of he potatoed him and you can kind of see that oh shit hell's about to break loose you know if you really study that
1: quickly there's a common sort of thread and when new jack loses it in the ring like this something happened in the locker room before they went out to wrestle where new jack felt slighted felt not respected as a veteran felt like the this this nobody is trying to dictate to him what's going to happen out there and to hear new jack tell it that's like the most cardinal sin you can commit if you're not established in wrestling is to come over and start talking to him like you have any grounds to suggest what's going to happen in the ring
2: exactly and so then of course you know he's got this crazy blade and he pulls it out and he stabs the guy a number of times and uh, long story short we're, we're, we're in the throes of this crazy incident with uh, Hunter Red. things have gone sideways a man's been stabbed many 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 times and uh, take it away Jack what happens next
1: This is really interesting just to set the stage because, you know, there's been talk about this incident where, you know, and it's in the documentary where Hunter Red agrees to drop the charges in exchange for an empty promise from New Jack that they could use this thing to get Hunter Red wrestling bookings because they'll go around Florida where it happened in that area and sort of promote Hunter Red out for revenge for what New Jack did to him for real in the wrestling ring. And Jack, I mean, he's seen every hustle in the book. He's like, sure. Yeah, let's do it. Drop the charges. Charges dropped. He skates, never sees the guy again. Uh, unbelievable that's the story he tells, and I'm sure it's you know I'm sure there's a lot of truth in that because clearly New Jack was never convicted of this this assault charge. at the same time though, something he did tell you guys uh, in the interview, a wrinkle to the story I feel like that that, that isn't in there is that uh, for some reason, New Jack as well as Hunter red required medical attention at a nearby hospital after this thing. and so they were proximate to each other in the immediate aftermath of this stabbing incident and to hear New Jack tell it, um, he perhaps may have been the first one to, to suggest to float the notion that they could turn this whole incident into something that could garner wider publicity and, and keep them paid for for future wrestling bookings to have, you know, future showdowns over what happened here. So uh, here's New Jack describing that scene.
0: They took me to the hospital, took him to the same hospital. We was in the back, and I heard him talking. And a little medic dude, he said, The guy that stabbed you was right up there. Oh my god. He said, New Jack, you in here? I said, yeah, I'm here. (laughs) He said, you all right? I said, yeah, you all right? He said, yeah, I got a couple of holes in me, but I'm fine. (laughs) Oh my god. I said, all right. He said, we good? I said, yeah, we straight. They took me to jail. (laughs) I didn't give a fuck about him, But I shot him my idea. I said, i tell you what. I said, let's go on a talk show. Like a cop. I mean, a, 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 a courtroom show. Judge Mathis. Judge Joe Brown. Whatever the fuck. Whoever. I said, let's take this on there. I said, you sue me for $5,000, which is the max. I said, I'm act like the biggest dick in the world. I said, I'm going to make sure you get your money. (laughs) He was like, I can't do it. He's am too embarrassed. I said, no. We'll spit the money. Oh, God. Let's go on the fucking show. (laughs) He wouldn't do it. (laughs) That was the last time I talked to him. (laughs)
1: He's got a couple of last time I talked to Hunter Red stories, I've noticed. But, uh, JP, Uh, nothing that Judge Mathis can't solve. I mean, hey, you know, I
3: I would definitely have tuned into that one uh, for sure. You know, and and he's smart, too, you know, because the money doesn't come out of, of anybody's pocket. It comes out
1: of the show's pocket. Yeah, it's a way to get the small claims paid off. That's why people go on those shows is because, you know, it gets paid off not out of their pocket in exchange for agreeing to be broadcast. Yeah.
2: And that's crazy, too. It's like five grand for being stabbed, you know, 18 times
1: or whatever it was. I can't remember how many times it was, but it's like, wow. That's interesting. I wonder if Hunter Red would agree with that scenario, that that depiction, because you're too embarrassed to go on Judge Mathis and talk about it and actually get national publicity, but you're not too embarrassed to ask New Jack to go around the horn with you and do a series of matches. Yeah.
2: It's weird because I have memories of trying to find Hunter Red. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I know that we definitely tried really hard to contact him for the episode. Obviously, I mean, we wanted to. It's like an enigma.
1: People don't really know his history. They
2: don't know like what he's about. We did interview. God, I'm trying to make sure I don't butcher this. But we we inter- No pun intended. <laughs> we 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 interviewed. I think his lawyer, or or I think it was for this incident. There, yeah, I think it was. I think it was Hunter Red's lawyer. Didn't make the episode. Yeah, I was gonna say he's not in there. Yeah, he's not in there. And, but again, it was just a runtime thing, you know, it was like, we just, you know, we're wrapping things up when we get to Hunter Red. you know, we could have made a whole separate episode about this incident because there was so many, so much more to it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he never surfaced. And then he, he never surfaced since he hasn't like said anything or done interviews or come out or, you know, since the episodes aired or, you know, you haven't seen anything of him on YouTube or, I mean, I haven't looked in a while, but. You know, normally when we can't find people and then the episode airs, people do kind of come out of the woodworks and he did not in all, this case. So nope.
1: Not nope. in this case.
2: So that says something.
1: Very interesting. Even with the Jerome Young no longer with us.
3: Yeah. That still too. not willing
1: to emerge. I bet he doesn't think that that new Jack is dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there's someone you can convince that a death is a work, yeah. it's a pro wrestler, <laughs> I guarantee you that. Yeah. 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 Well, so, uh,
2: you know, I guess we're I was left. just going to say one more thing too, just because, you know on on everything we've been talking about with, with New Jack and the character of Jerome Young versus, you know, New Jack, the character, I think one thing too is like, I think New Jack, be, still being a Carney, you know, still being a part of the wrestling business, I think that he knows, he's very aware, and I think you can tell in this interview when he's talking about these things and he's being remorseless, he's very aware of the, like, creating, the continuing and perpetuating the legend and the mystique of the new Jack character, because he knows that wrestlers are defined by their legacies. And, and I think, you know, this kind of even being pushing the work as far as you can frickin' take it. Yeah. I do think there, you know, there is psychopathic, you know, elements to, to Jerome Young, the person, but I do think that, that he consciously plays it up as much as possible because he's always thinking about the legacy of the character.
1: Yeah, and never afraid to lean in to even the most notorious stories exactly, about himself. Exactly, you know, It's not like he ever shied away from talking about the kinds of things that this episode so brilliantly sort of threads together, is that he's he's willing to lean in, he's willing to look into the camera and said, I would do it again. He's willing yeah. to lean in, look at the camera and say, I got away with cutting Mass Transit's forehead open, this, you know, 19-year-old kid, whatever he was. If you can believe, we've talked for about New Jack for this entire episode and barely got into mass transit tells you a lot about how much is I under know. the hood here. But yeah. I, I think just, just in terms of summing it all up and what, what, how new Jack was able to be new Jack for so long, despite all of these the difficult background, the, the, you know, confronting the racism, the antisocial tendencies, the violence, it's people love the guy, the fans loved new Jack. Yeah. You ever went to an ECW show, you saw this. And I have to say for, you know, as, as intimidating and, you know, Foreboding of a of an exterior, the guy had. He loved the fans too, and mm-hmm. he loved the ECW fans in particular. And if you ever went to a show back in the day, man, you would line up hours before the doors opened, and wrestlers that were working the show would sometimes walk the uh, walk the line and just shake hands. It was it was a small enough community uh, of totally rabid, insane fans that 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 was something wrestlers uh, saw upside in. And and when New Jack talked about that element of things in ECW to you guys. Uh, He talked about how Paul Heyman, who of course was the the sort of mad scientist behind ECW, sort of discouraged that. He didn't really think it was necessarily the best practice to spend a lot of time rubbing elbows with the people that you want to um, pay tickets to see you as some kind of larger than life star or just somebody that's inaccessible enough to pay to see. But New Jack thought the opposite. In fact, New Jack. Not only uh, loved mixing it up with the fans, uh, he loved uh, sharing drugs with the fans to hear him tell (laughs) it. And in particular, uh, you know, if if you wanted to buy his pants, he'd sell them to you, man. God. But here's the thing. Here's the catch. He's got to remember to empty the pockets.
0: I had brought this camo outfit with the pants and the shirt that was matching, but I didn't like the color of it. He's got the best pregnant pauses. (laughs) And I had a bag of Coke. I was... I put it in my pocket. I, I meant to put it in my bag, but I didn't do it. So the kid's father came up. He's like, New Jack, I will buy the shit you're wearing right now. I'll buy it off your back if you sell it to me for my kid. <laughs> I said, let me do my match. I'll come back. I'll give you a shit. I said, I don't want it. I said, you ain't got to buy it. I don't want it. Huh. And after my match, I went out there and I handed him my pants and my shirt. <laughs> and I went in the back to get dressed, and I was like, "Where my drugs at? I was like, oh shit, they're in my pants. And I ran outside, in the park, not in the parking lot, but in the audience, and the kid was sitting there, he was holding the pants around his neck. I said, give me the pants. <laughs> and I snatched them from him, and his father was like, what's going on? I said, wait a minute. I said, something in the pocket I need to get. I, re- I reached in the pocket, and it was still in there. I took it out and put it in my pocket and gave it back to the pants and went back in the first room. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like memory, like like story time, like
2: telling those kind of stories. There's a lot of stories that are like, you know, of that nature or just like that have no relevance to anything we would have asked, you know, on the day or anything that just kind of fall out of some of the wrestlers that are great. And you just, you have, you have no you have nothing to do with them you know because you can't you can't use them in the episode especially a show like ours with such strict time constraints but here it's perfect just like wow like that that moment
1: you know in a vacuum
2: is is great
1: that's why we're doing it uh one way or the other be it an eight by ten with his face crossed out or drugs in the pants do jack got the bag right jp he got it all yeah he got it all yeah jeez what a what a nut So this has been episode one of dark side of the ring unheard as we are going back to the well for you. We hope you'll join us next time. We're with you as we unearth and surface another fascinating subject buried deep in the dark side archives. And of course, please don't forget dark side of the ring season five will premiere Tuesday, March 5th. That's 10 PM Eastern time on vice TV, 10 all new episodes coming your way. And I don't know if the response is as positive as it ought to be, uh, Perhaps a lot more for us to chew on for future uh, seasons here of Unheard.